Sasha Thompson is a respected and certified DEI coach. For the next 30 minutes, we'll get an exclusive look at some of her conversations with others in the field. Welcome to DEI After Five. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of DEI After Five. I am um, really interested and excited about this next conversation. You know, as I've shared before, you know, many of the conversations or many of the folks that will be on this show, I have met throughout my career in DEI. And so today's conversation is no exception. So my guest today is Michael Rawl. And um, he is with New Sincerity. Hey, Michael. Um, and we're really just going to have a really great conversation about just kind of DEI and how you got into this work and all of the things. Right. So right, thank I'm you so much for being here. Um, and, you know, you and I have these conversations all the time. Right? <laughs> we'll get on Zoom and just talk uh, and brainstorm. But I want folks to know um, just, you know, how did you get into this work? Um, what what was it about it that just kind of excited you? Oh, thanks so much. And thanks for like having me on. It's just it's an honor to be uh, to be a part and just to hear. I and mean, we talked about this as a as a vision for one of the things you were going to bring to the community. And now just because you you get things done, here we are. Um, <laughs> and I'm just honored to, to be a part. So. I've got kind of a unique background. So I've worked, I've worked in tech since kind of its early days. Um, and I've been CMO of a cybersecurity company, but I also have a, a counseling degree and a background in multicultural counseling. So, um, so I've worked in the last several years to, to see an opportunity to bring, um, the, the change that I want to see in the world into the, into the world of work, the work that I do. So, the focus right now is um, is creating partnerships with new sincerity. So all of my partners are all women of color, and we uh, we approach DEI and corporate work a little bit differently, um, and are seeing uh, and are seeing some some interesting results and, and kind of driving some engagement. So you touched on something just now, and I'm just going to call it out. You know, elephant in the room, like you are a cisgendered, straight, white male, right? That, These are two things, yeah. Right, all the, all the things that a lot of folks are saying, you are who this work is not about, right? Absolutely. And so yeah. how do you balance, how do you take that on? Yeah, yeah it's, um, I mean, it's a great question. I think that, uh, I think that when I first started, so I studied, Black studies in undergrad back in the day because I just I realized as a young person that I, I didn't get the real history and did a lot of different things in the world of work. And now being in this space, what I realize is that um, kind of leaning into my, my background in mental health is that a lot of folks weren't they weren't seeing themselves in the solution. And mm -hmm. I knew that um, that it didn't make sense not having any lived experience that um that i could go out and speak and say hey i i have every vertice of of privilege that there is right and i recognize that but i also because i've worked in in the mental health field it's about building relationships and engagement and 
And I realized that the opportunity to, to actually engage folks, and many folks that may not believe in the, the value or the importance of DEI at work, if they could see themselves in the solution and then see in an active dialogue and an authentic conversation what trusting relationships can look like, what sharing power can look like, then it, it stimulates new conversations and new thinking. And that's that's kind of what myself and the partners bring into the into this training and workshop component is this active dialogue. And I have a unique role. My role is to do some things that you don't see from a lot of leaders, which include active listening, which includes showing vulnerability. Um, and those are the types of things that I think create enough curiosity and interest. And when that happens, we have folks that maybe aren't invested in DEI start to lean in, they start to get curious. And that curiosity then it leads to it leads to change. And that's that's kind of my theory of change and what we're doing. You know, you said something just now that, you know, the, the curious cat in me <laughs> kind of jumped into because we talk about mental health a lot. Like I talk about it a lot and some of my guests are therapists in this space, but we talk about it from the perspective of wellness and self-care for practitioners. Like what do you need to do to take care of yourself? But with your background, like, there's this very unique intersection of mental health and DEI, right? And so how do you see those two things merging as you're doing your work with your clients? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. I, um, I didn't actually start, uh, I developed a theory of change for new sincerity. It was actually born as a digital magazine in, in 2016. And we told hundreds of stories that um that were, were kind of aiming to disrupt bias um mm. and it was short form content we had about 175,000 followers on social the um the algorithms didn't didn't like the content as much as uh, as much as we did we built a big audience but my goal there was actually to get content that was truly intersectional to go viral and I did some other things in the world of work, and I came back to to looking at DEI through the leadership experiences that I've had in different sorts of roles. But that mental health piece kept coming up because I was leaning on the the training and also the work with clients to to actually build relationships. And what I found was that these very very foundationary skills when you study mental health about active listening, um, about there's a technique called a broken record where you reflect back what you've heard. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the literature proves this out too. Like we're not, we're not heard as, as people, either in the world or at work. People are, are waiting to, to get their, their piece in. They want to share their idea and their thought. And so I thought, hey, if we could take all of the educational components of DEI, which are super, super important because um, because we need to share that knowledge, but we could also model and practice skills like listening to folks, restating back what we heard, uh, admitting that we make a mistake when we make a mistake or when we don't have the answer. Mm -hmm. Those uh, those actually those practices bring people into the material, and that's where we start to see we start to see some change. And I'm just I'm an optimist. I'm a humanist, so I believe that if we can 
if we can practice some skills and see a little bit of change and deepen one relationship that we can spread that through the organization. I love it because basically what you are honing in on is what does inclusion look like? <laughs> right? Like we, exactly. we talk about you know, wanting Let's to be seen, it. valued, heard, right? But it's like you all are modeling that behavior um, through these workshops, through, you know, you sitting in a role of listening. Um, yeah. I mean, that, I think that's, that's a piece that is often missing in this work, right? We talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, mm-hmm. but that inclusion piece of, okay, what does this look like in the day to day? How do you model that, um, is critical. And so, you know, the active listening you know, I do that in a lot of, of my facilitation work as well, too, where it's the broken record. Right. Let me let me repeat back what you said, because um, that may or may not have landed on my ears the way that you intended for it to, to land. Um, and yeah. so sometimes it's people hearing things like, oh, no, that's not <laughs> that's not what I meant at all. Right. Yeah. OK, well, let's clarify. And so with that dialogue, with that conversation, you start to build trust. You start to build relationship, as you were saying. Um, and you can deepen that that connection so that you can continue to do the hard work. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as usual, just like you always frame things in a way that I was like, oh, just like what Sasha said. That's that's what I was getting at. From the first time we met years and years ago, I was like this woman, like she breaks down the complex, the intent and the, this is, this is emotional work. There's deep, deep, intense suffering that's involved in the work. And I, I don't go into organizations and, and try and practice therapy. Um, we, we can't do that. It's actually kind of dangerous. But when you when you said, yes, this is the practice of inclusion, that's, that's what I'm aiming for. That's what I'm aiming for. And then I believe that if we model that through video interaction with myself and partners, and I do things that to me are pretty simple and intuitive but to the world of work and folks that leaders that have been trained leaders aren't trained in vulnerability that's not a skill that comes up and in a leadership development program it doesn't come up in grad school in an MBA program no one says you should be vulnerable and that will create psychological safety and that will endear your team to you it it doesn't come up Uh, I mean it should and maybe the next generation it will but I think I'm here with my partners to be a catalyst in, in a new expression of leadership. And the theory is, and I, I think it's proving out, the theory is that that's gonna reduce suffering because it's gonna drive awareness. And uh, and that's that's how, I mean, you you put that together in in your work in a, in a practical application. That's why I just, you know, folks like myself are just magnetized to your work because you, you walk that talk. Oh, thank you. <laughs> No, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because, you know, in another episode, um, we talked to uh, Farah Harris, who talked about emotional yeah. intelligence. And as you're talking, I'm like, you're, you're absolutely right. There are very few leadership programs, and I've been through quite a few of them. I've gotten, my, you know, my MBA and all of these other things. Um, very few of them talk about the importance of emotional intelligence as a leader, right? And being able to tap into that. And, yeah as you're going through leadership or as you're kind of going up the ranks, I mean, very few places even teach you how to be a manager, right? They, oh, okay, you can do this work, great. 
we're going to just give you a couple more people, right? And go figure it out. And so it's, it's really that missing piece of being able to understand who you are, being able to understand that vulnerability is a strength and not a weakness, being exactly. able to, to step out and, and show, okay, I make mistakes as well. And it's okay, right? That's how we learn together. That's how you build that psychological safety um, that you're talking about. 100%. You know, the other thing that you, you touched on, and I, I want to make sure that you know people understand is you, know, you have put together a number of practitioners to kind of do this work. You go into organizations and do this work. But all of them um, have intersectional backgrounds, right? And you talk about the importance of intersectionality in this work and how you are um, using that again to model that behavior. And so I want you to talk a little bit more about that and the importance of people seeing themselves as a part of these teams. Yep. Great, great question. Great question. Um, so the, the, um, the, the thing that is one of the things that's most exciting about this, this collective that we're building is that these other practitioners are um, are not what we would call professional DEI facilitators, um, mm -hmm. and uh, and it it bases um, that choice is based primarily because uh, when I want folks to see themselves in the solution, that means taking whatever they might have learned in a in a training in a in a little lightning talk that we might do, and and actually practicing it in their next meeting or interaction, right? Mm -hmm. And this comes down to this idea of the beginner's mindset, which is that you don't have to be an expert in anti-racism, psychological safety, or your understanding of systemic oppression to go and be a vulnerable leader. And these other practitioners are gifted facilitators and experts in a range of different disciplines. Uh, one in particular focus is on disability and, and, a, and kind of actually helping brands evolve their, their marketing to be more, to connect more with the differently able community, right? And being a gifted communicator, being very heart-led and being, um, just a just a really talented human being she brings her whole self to the work but we also we also show folks that you, you don't have to read 50 books to uh to go and give some of these things a try and, and practice is a big part of, of mm -hmm. our theory of change and how we work because if we're vulnerable and we have this beginner's mindset and we practice the practice means that you reach out to someone at work and you're just like, oh, gosh, I, I've only worked with this person in two meetings over the last couple months, but I'm just going to say like, hey, how's it going? Gosh, I hope that wasn't awkward. That that actual, that extension for an introvert, it's a big risk. Mm -hmm. And we want to model that. We want to model what interaction or conversation might feel a little sloppy, right? A little unscripted because that's how life is. Life is mostly unscripted, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's very interesting because and we've again talked about this. So much of this work is getting people past their own fears. Yep. Right. And, and it's it's messy and ugly and that's okay. 
right? It's, it's, it's okay for it to be um, uncomfortable. 100%, 100%. Yeah. And, and it's especially really important for see folks who look like me, who have my background, the especially the younger generation at work, they are not accustomed to someone who looks like me saying, I don't know. I'm right. not sure. And uh, and to some folks it seems simplistic, but to people that have a deep background in HR uh, or leadership, the the nuance of on a continuous basis saying, hey, I don't know what to do here, or in a meeting, ceding power in a very visible way mm-hmm. to other folks that are younger or black, brown, gay, etc. when we cede the power of the moment and of the meeting and do it in a visible way, it creates a, a marker in someone's mind. And the reason is, unfortunately, that's different. It doesn't happen a lot. But when that happens over time, that, that to me is, is what psychological safety actually is. And if we can practice it rather than, than just read a manual and talk about it in a kind of an academic way, then people start to say, well, gosh, I can, I can look for that. I can watch for that. Or leaders can say, well, gosh, is that, I thought it was more complex than that. And my message is like, actually, when we wrap up this training, you, you can do that. You can do it over Slack, you can do it over email, or you can do it in front of your folks, you know? Yeah. And that's how you, that's how you change culture, right? It's the one time is not going to change anything, right? People will kind of say, okay, what, what the hell is happening? But <laughs> if you do it on a consistent basis and model, again, constantly model the behavior, that's how you start to shift culture, especially if it's coming from leadership. Exactly. Um, yeah. And and so those are the, the moments that can happen almost immediately. Right. Yeah. I always, um, you know, talk about what can we do now? That's one of those things that we can do Ooh, right I now. Like that. I like that. Um, what is something else that, you know, leaders can do right now that can start to get them stepping out of their comfort zone? Um, ask for help. Right. Mm-hmm. There's lots of different ways to uh, to ask for help. And you can, once again, I think about platforms and tools a lot because, uh, because if I try and insert a training, <clears throat> that's a, it's a new thing into, into a very full calendar. What I oftentimes see is, or even hear is like a visible groan of like, oh man, I don't have time for one more thing. <laughs> but if I can think about existing workflows, Slack mm-hmm. is a way that we are working actively. And then there's a skill that will lead to these outcomes we're talking about, right? Active listening, promoting psychological safety. You can just say, hey, hey, squad, really quickly, I'm not sure if we should try and launch early on this because it's not quite complete or hold off two weeks. What do you think? Yeah. And what we're doing as a leader, we're not committing the whole organization to a giant new strategy, but what we're doing is signaling. I want to hear from you. And I'm also I'm also cognizant that the leader doesn't have to take any of that advice. And also we're not burdening the team by saying, I need a whole new report. Give me a one pager on why we should do that. No, 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 we're not doing this. We're actually just having informal dialogue, not about DEI. We're having informal dialogue about the work. Like this is what we're here doing, 
right? Yeah. So, um, and another another way to do that is to say, hey team, just want to let you know, <clears throat> could have done this thing better. And it doesn't have to be yesterday or last week, okay. and it doesn't have to be a big one where like actually we totally missed our number from from Q4, because that's well, that's a lot. That's a lot of vulnerability, and it, it can actually shake the confidence of folks, right? But you just like, hey, I missed this. I realized that we had a big project, and, and I kind of thought it was a medium-sized one, and so I gave everybody two weeks. Honestly, I should have given you four. So I own that, and uh, I'm going to do, do better next time. I'm sitting here thinking back to some places that I've worked, and if that was what I heard from a leader, how that might have changed how I felt about being there, right? Um, because not only are you modeling the vulnerability, you're asking for feedback, you are um, also kind of taking down that the barrier between levels, right? Because mm -hmm. there is this hierarchy that many companies love that there's a hierarchy and they they thrive on the fact that you know you're not at this level or that level. Um, and so therefore you shouldn't talk to someone at this level. Um, and so it removes a lot of those barriers and again, leads to helping with that, that psychological safety, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of the work that I do around that is, you know, share some of your mistakes. You're not, no one's perfect. Mm -hmm. And so many people, especially folks that are younger in their careers, see these leaders that, you know, walk on clouds. <laughs> You yes. know, it's like they're absolutely perfect. They don't make mistakes, which adds another layer of pressure because then you feel you can't make mistakes. Yeah, they take they take that in. And I do see it from younger leaders who they getting back to this mental health piece. It's, it's living too strongly in your ego mm -hmm. in the world of work. And, and they're actually like they're they're doing the they're doing the thing that the leader is doing that ultimately is. Is making work not so not so fun, not so safe, not so rewarding. Mm -hmm. But it becomes habit for me because young folks at work are like, well, that's what it takes. Evidently, that is the skill base that's going to get me from A to B. Right. And like, I'm ambitious too, and so that's that's what it, that's what I'm going to have to do. And it, it also stifles creativity. It stifles innovation. Mm -hmm. We have giant data sets and all these things. So. Part of me is like, okay, so we, we've been tracking DEI for what, five, six, seven, eight years. Nothing is moving the needle. We're going to keep doing the, we're going to keep doing the same thing. And, uh, and so we're trying to start some new conversations. Ones that uh, I'm working on this multi-generational piece too, because I've been in, in the world of work and in the world of tech for a long time. And I found that like, Folks that are newer to the world of work, it makes me uncomfortable, honestly. Like, I don't, I don't want to talk too much about my age. Not so much because of insecurity, although there's a little bit there, but I, I don't want to talk about it because I, I seem to see that folks, they get distracted. And wow. instead of listening to what we're talking about, they're like, gosh, how is that guy? And <laughs> I appreciate the curiosity, but like, I have a plan. <laughs> like I, we got a lot of work to do. Let's stay focused. Let's empower yourself, others, your colleagues, and let's get this work done. Mm -hmm. So I've leaned away from this multi-generational piece. But in the spirit of vulnerability, I'm going to bring it in here because this is an audience that's 
of practitioners and um, and let you know. And I'm just going to be open to digging into it a little bit. But uh, but that multi generational piece, it's one of the barriers to connection. It's really happening. It's huge. It's yeah. huge. I have a um, you know a series of workshops called the Foundations, and one of them is on the generations. And that one is probably the one that folks are just like, I didn't even think about that. Because mm -hmm. when you think about it, this is the first time four generations have been in the workforce. Wow. I and so, put that together. Yeah. So if you look at baby, baby boomers, boomers. <laughs> <laughs> if you look at baby boomers and you look at the characteristics of that generation and what has shaped that generation versus, um, what is it, Gen Z? What letter yeah. on we are now? Yeah. yeah. Gen Z, right? And what has shaped them, um, you know, growing up. There are a lot of commonalities that I think they don't even realize that they have. There's probably more in like with those two generations than, than not. Um, yeah, but because of, yeah. Yeah. But because of the age difference, right? You, you start to see, oh, okay, well, they're just old. They don't get it but their work ethic is very similar. So I think those are conversations that we do need to have because <clears throat> that is where a lot of the conflict is happening. Um, and it, it is, and then you start talking about ageism, right? That's an ism that yep. we rarely talk about yep. that's out there. So, I mean, gosh, that could be a whole other episode, a whole other show. <laughs> Just it talking is, about ageism. We, and, we, and, should, we should tackle it. We should tackle I'm super curious about it. Yeah, because I think it's one that we we hear whispers of, but no one, especially in the workplace, is really, okay, this is a problem. Like, we really need to figure this out. Um, yeah, and we're and reluctant had, to take on one more thing. It just feels heavy, you know? Exactly. I want to kind of lean back into what you said about mental health, because, you know, as I'm doing this series and as we're I'm talking to folks, um, I always want to think about like, how, what do we need to do to take care of ourselves? Right. I always talk about, we're always filling everyone else's cup. Like mm -hmm. what's in our cup? Right? What are we doing to, <laughs> to, to, to fill ourselves up? So today I have green tea. That's, that's what's filling my cup. Um, but what are the things that you do to, to kind of help rejuvenate you as you do this work? Oh, that's a great, that's a great question. And we've talked about like, we always, you and I have al always find a way to, touch on self-care mm -hmm. and then we get back into it um, and when I talk about you to uh, my colleagues because because uh, you know because you just you've been doing this work for a long time and you have this resilience that um, that's extremely important right burnout is is very very real we've yeah, talked yeah. about how can we keep folks how can we keep the cups filled right um, mm -hmm. for, for me the um, having a uh, a meditation practice from back in the day um like it's really really important and the pandemic has been especially challenging my wife is a doctor she works for the department of public health um so the energy at home it's heightened she's she's working on the pandemic to help keep the city of san francisco safe and it's a lot um i need to be there for her and her for me we've got our daughter here at home and a lot of folks think about meditation as like, well, one, this is too woo-woo and I'm not into that. Right. Meditation basically is it's a 2,000-year-old breathing exercise, so it doesn't need to be, once again, the beginner's mindset really helpful here. Um, five minutes of 
breathing and maybe once in the morning, once in the evening, you put the timer on, have no expectations, but it all, it does all these things chemically in the brain about releasing the cortisol from the front brain, which is tied to stress. Um, we like to, you know, especially, especially in tech and the corporate world, there are ways we're supposed to do these things. We have all these meditation apps, for example, and I like to keep things really simple when people talk about, ask me about meditation and they want to get all into the details. And I'm like, hey, it's just a practice. Five minutes in the morning or five minutes in the evening, start there, do it for a week. If you stick with it for a week, pat yourself on the back because starting new habits is hard. So that's a huge part. The other part for me that's hard, like I like people. Pandemic makes it hard to connect with people. So I'm, I'm reaching out to have conversations sometimes with, with colleagues and folks in this space that don't have a goal. Um, and that's actually just more about that relationship building. It reminds mm-hmm. me that like, hey, I'm not, I'm, we're in this together, even if we're not working on a project together. It's that sense of community, right? That's, yeah. that's so critical. It's, it's, it's important to me. It kind of keeps me going, you know? And it's so funny. I was talking to our, our producer um, earlier and I'm going I'm to sit back because I want you to see my T-shirt, right? <laughs> I saw so that. Self-love is so gangster, right? That <laughs> that is I just saw the self part when we first came on. That is so that is so awesome. Yeah, right. So that is kind of this mindset of reminding me that like, wow, that that's that's what you need to do. That is it. Self-care, self-love, those are the things that are important. Um, and so that has been kind of a theme, an ongoing theme throughout the series and you know, my work. Yeah. And so just wanted to to kind of touch on that because, you know, again, you and I've talked about the burnout piece and needing to take time away and just reflect and and just be. Yeah. yeah. Right? Part, I'm also here because being a straight white man, a lot of folks that uh, they're like, hey, I just need to talk to Michael just to be like, hey, is, is it going to be OK? Are we going to be OK? Is this is it actually working? And I'm here to say, yes, it's working. Yeah. It's working, you know, and that that touchstone, you know, I'm a connector, right? That's, that's a big part of my theory of change and how I live in the world. And being a connector helps me be someone that can be what we call a safe object and and, and help reassure and, and be a part of that self-care you know, solution. Right. So as a connector, how can people get in contact with you if they wanted to reach you? Um, you know, so the, the best way is actually LinkedIn because it's a way during our busy work lives, we can, we can build and expand networks. This idea of weak ties is really important to me. And when we start to find that we have more people in the world of work in common than, um, than we knew before, kind of inspires some confidence. And then also LinkedIn messaging, it allows us to just find innovative ways to work together. So definitely get on LinkedIn, um, connect, connect anytime. And then I'm always down for an exploratory call, 15 minutes just to talk about the work, the theory of change, and then even to explore partnership, right? Like the more of us that are doing this work in the world, the more change we create. So I would probably say, find me on LinkedIn. You got the name there. And And your uh, email. Yep. And we'll go there. Yeah. Perfect. And there's an email up on the screen there. Wonderful. So, Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. I think there was so many different pieces, right, that folks can can get out of this and the importance of um, 
just how we approach this work, right? And and how do we make it not a burden to, mm-hmm. to model the behavior that we're looking for? So thank, oh, thank you well so said. much. Well said, so much gratitude for you and your work. Great connection, great connection. Have a great thank one. Thank you. All right, thank you everyone for joining us. Um, again, feel free to follow up with Michael. You got his email address on the side um, right there. You can also follow me. Um, on LinkedIn or anywhere on social media at The Equity Equation. Be sure to subscribe as well so that you can get these uh, notifications right in your inbox. And we will see you at the next time on our next episode. Have a good one.